Welcome to the Saints of San Francisco podcast, where we dive into work, faith, and fulfillment. This is a podcast for the modern Christian professional. I'm your host, Isaac Hall. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, Saints, for those who are listening at whatever hours of the day. Welcome back to the Saints of San Francisco podcast in the continuation of the mental health series, where we also talk about faith, work, and fulfillment. Um, Today, we have a very, very prominent guest, someone that I've known for years and years, and we met back after community group and we were waiting we were in the same bart station waiting and uh, we just had a quick conversation there and i knew that this uh gentleman had a lot of depth had a lot of character uh, and had a lot of self-awareness and he's also a type 2 enneagram and so with that said i'd like to introduce the one the only Alex Alves. Uh, thank you, Isaac. That was really nice. Um, I received those words, but that was really kind. Uh, so for me, I am a second generation Filipino Asian American male. So I identify actually as a gay male with pronouns of he, him, and his. Um, I'm also Christian but I actually was raised uh, uh, Catholic growing up. And I'll get more into detail about that later on as I unfold my story. Um, but in terms of what I do for work, uh, my background is actually in e-commerce merchandising. Um, so I worked at different companies like at Wish, um, Macy's. Um, so that's sort of where my, my background lies and I'm actually looking for work right now. So um, that's kind of a, a a process in which I'm going through um, during my life, I guess, right now. Awesome, Alex. And thank you for your candor as, as usual. And I think that there is an amazing story to tell here, Alex. I think just, you know, about you yourself, your identity um, and trauma and all the mental and, and spiritual challenges that you have had. Um, coming to this point and then talking about just closing us off with um, what happened in the past year and also about you searching for a new job as well. So um, yeah, I'm just going to allow you the space and time um, for us to really get into it about, you know, starting off from your childhood and, and finding out all of these things about your identity and who you are and then just moving forward on that chronological timeline uh, to now, and then all of the mental and spiritual intersectionalities in between. So, yeah, um, Alex, I'm just excited to give you the space and now throw in questions if I have any. So please excuse me if I interject with a question or two. As Not we at all. Not at all. You know, this is one of the first times that I've been able to share my story to its entirety even to present day and just some takeaways. And so um, it is going to be very vulnerable, but I'm, I'm happy and glad to be able to share this with you and just sort of with your audience. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, Alex, whenever um, you're ready. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, I guess we have to start when I was, you know, um, my childhood. You know, I think the first thing that I was unable to articulate or even put into words was what it meant to be gay. And I, I knew that I was gay at a very young age. I knew that I was gay even at like four years old. Uh, however, I don't think there was any sort of rep representation of what that meant or what that looked like on media. Um, I didn't know any family members, no one close to me in sort of my community or my support group were, were, were gay. And, you know, unfortunately I was not able to comprehend what that even meant to me. You know, uh, the funny things growing up and in, in sort of questioning and being curious of what this meant was I remember just walking down uh, some of retail stores and then walking down like the underwear aisle and noticing that like, there are these like buff like men wearing underwear. And I'm like, why does this seem really like interesting to me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I questioned, I was like, is this normal for me to like, like men like this in, in sort of a, a sexy way? Um, you know, and normally I was exposed to relationships where it was a heterosexual relationship with like my parents, you know, family members where it's like aunts and uncles where there's a male and a female, yeah. but never once did I even see any sort of representation of a same sex relationship. Mm. So having to really understand that growing up was difficult. Yeah. Um, like I said, I didn't know how to put it even into words. Um, and so I, apart from identifying as gay, a huge um, thing that I really identified with was being Catholic. So ever mm -hmm. since the day that um, I was born, he was, I was even baptized before I was one years old in the Catholic church. Uh, I was I went to Catholic, um, to catechism classes, went to like Sunday school, went to masses every Sunday. Um, so being Catholic was actually huge in my family. Um, and it wasn't until maybe I was, I want to say 15, 16 years old that I even discerned about becoming a priest. Mm. Yeah. Um, we had this Bible camp where every summer uh, some of the, the kids in the local high schools, we'd come and help out at this church. And it was sort of like a summer oratory for kids. And we'd like be Bible camp um, leaders. And then some of the pre, some of the, the, the seminarians and some of the, the sisters from different orders um, that the, that the, uh, the church had, um, they came to visit and they were also leaders. They, they were sort of examples for us at the church. It was quite interesting. And I think that was a huge uh, reason of me wanting to become a priest. Um, and so from there, it, I wanted to develop a relationship with the priest or the pastor of the church. And so I wanted to seek counsel with him, see if I can actually sharpen um sort of this desire and want to like pursue this, this, this journey of becoming a priest. And so yeah. that was from like 15 uh, to 18. Um, so being Catholic honestly was a huge part of my life. Now I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going all over the place, but I did want to speak on 
just kind of how hard it was to to grow up being gay, yeah. unpacking that, processing it as at the same time going to a Catholic church where gay being gay was not accepted. Yeah. So um, I'll talk a little bit more on like how both of those connect and then deep uh, dig deeper. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Growing up, I was teased a lot. I was even bullied. You know, there were a lot of kids who would speculate and then, you know, even me just wearing like a pink Mickey Mouse jacket and in the kindergarten uh, hmm. where of who he was supposed to be my friend called me out and, and said, Hey, look at Alex, he's gay. And um, I took that offensively. And Wait, this was in kindergarten? This is in kindergarten, yes. And I, I remember running to my kindergarten teacher and telling her and saying, like, this person said something to me. And then um, she put him to timeout. And I, was, I remember I was just crying and I took my jacket off and just didn't want to wear it for the rest of the day. Wow. Yeah. Um, and throughout just elementary school, so many kids, like, kids are very, <laughs> they're very mean. Um, I had a bully throughout third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. Uh, he would say mean and nasty things to me. He would say trigger warnings, um, like faggot. He would say words like gay, you know, all these, all these just really terrible words that you can think of that affiliated with just gay. Yeah. And Throughout um, navigating school and even like going away from the bus stop, I would always try to avoid him. Like I kind of strategically figured out like the areas in which he would walk around or how, where he lived so that I could just avoid him because any, any, um, if, if I ever encountered him, he'd just always put me down. Yeah. Always say these words. And I just felt ter- terrible about myself. Um, and in those moments, I just, I, I, I really did not know what to do. Yeah. I, I would just stand there. I would just cry, um, look to my friends. Sometimes there, there weren't even friends and I would be alone and I, I didn't know what to do and I felt helpless and I would just take it. And I, I wouldn't even like fight for myself. Mm. Um, and so I say that because navigating going through going to school as well as going to, um, to church, trying to unpack what being gay meant to me, feeling like it's not accepted in school and it's not accepted in church, but it was also not accepted in my household. Um, I think mm-hmm. in some ways my parents were in denial of me being gay. And so they negated me from even pursuing things that maybe I wanted to do. Yeah. For example, um, when I think of my brother, my brother is a very, he's a star athlete. Like he was in karate. He was like black belt, three stripe. He was in basketball, like super, um, you know, he was like a great athlete in, in basketball and football, volleyball, like all these different sports. Yeah. And I think naturally my father really wanted me to, sort of be in those same sports and enroll me in those things. And I even did karate, um, but deep down, and I've, I, I, I did express this to my father where it's like, I want to do dance. Yeah. 
Mm. I want to do gymnastics. I want to do more artistic things. Yeah. And even, even despite me wanting to pursue these things, um, growing up, my dad didn't want me to do that. And I'm left to believe that it was deemed as gay or feminine or girly. Mm. So therefore he did not enroll me in those things. Wow. And I think even growing up a huge part of just not feeling accepted was not feeling the amount of support or love from my dad growing up. So one, let alone not feeling love and support from church, not feeling love and support uh, from my, my, uh, from my school and just my community and friends and also at home. I just, I really didn't feel like I belonged. And Mm -hmm. I, 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 it was difficult as I reiterate that trying to unpack what gay meant, but also feeling like it's not accepted and having to suppress that was very difficult. Um, So fast forward to when I was 18 and I started to become a little bit more comfortable and really unpacked and understood what it meant to be gay. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I think that my mind at that time, I was able to uh, understand. And at, at that point, um, this was like mid 2000s. At that point, there was a little bit of representation in terms of homosexual or LGBT characters within the media. Yeah. And so I felt a little bit more comfortable. Um, this this was after high school, and the first one of the first people that I came out to was my brother. Um, I had been thinking about it prior to telling him for a long time that I came to terms with it and I was gay. And so when I did it, one of the first things that my brother said was like, I wish I could have been there for you more growing up. I, I could have done more as a brother. Wow. And then in my mind, I, I didn't know how to process that. And so later on, I was able to say, you don't have to, you don't have to feel or think that way. Yeah. You, know, you did the best that you can as being a supportive brother. And he started to tear up. And I told him that I wanted to tell our parents and that I, I, I would love to have his support. Mm. Um, so... After that, I came to terms with coming out slowly to my friends. Um, some of them knew. Some of them were like, oh, I already knew. That's fine. Some of them were a little bit shocked. Um, some of my family members were really nice and in, in saying that you're so brave for coming out. So came out to my brother, came out to my family members, came out to some friends. I also came out to the priest that I was seeing for, um, for counsel. And I remember, I remember this day so vividly. I remember walking into his office. Uh, I was shaking. I, my heart was palpitating. Um, I was waiting for him to enter the office while I was like sitting across from his desk um, in that chair. And, you know, we do, we would do our typical routine of like catching up, like, how's your spiritual life? What are you doing? How's your relationship with God? And then it was closer to the end that I said, Hey, pastor, I am gay. And 
immediately his jaw dropped, his eyes grew big. He pulled forward into his desk, took a deep breath. He pulled his drawer from under underneath his desk. Yeah. He took a pamphlet out. It was like a trifold type pamphlet. He handed it to me in my hands. And he's like, this is a secret group. You don't need to tell anyone about this group. But this is a group who they are thinking, maybe identify as gay or LGBT. But yeah. this is a group where they all come together and they pray. And they figure out ways to essentially, he didn't say this, but I knew it was, suppress being gay. Wow. So that you can... Um, continue a normal, quote unquote, normal, um, heteronormative life. So then I looked at the pamphlet, looked at the details, and within 30 seconds, I closed it up. And I was like, okay, well, pastor, I'm going to leave. And I remember walking to my car, looking at that pamphlet again, and then just kind of like throwing it to the side of my car. I was like, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. This is bullshit. Um, And so I think that was the turning point for me to want to explore my sexuality more. And I, I, this was when you're around 18. This is when I was 18. So this is when I started to come out to everyone. Got it. Just one question before you continue. How are you navigating through all this internally? Like, for example, was there a voice saying like, what you're doing is wrong or like, what are you doing? Or was it like by the time you're 18 and there were more prominent, you know, LGBT figures in the community and in the media, you were more comfortable with yourself. Were there any um, emotional strife or mental strife going on in your heart or your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So growing up Catholic again, I, I grew up with so much Catholic guilt and even just the smallest sin, even if it was a lie, even if it was just something small, I would immediately feel guilty. It it got to the point where even before going to mass on Sundays, I'd feel unworthy of receiving um, communion because I sinned and I would, it was almost like an addiction where like I'd have to go to confession prior to getting it because I just, my conscience was just so guilty. I felt terrible about myself. And so with that being ingrained in me growing up as a Catholic boy, of course, being gay, even after suppressing it, like I felt tons of guilt, tons of remorse and being like, am I doing the right thing? Am I um, turning away from God? It, it, was, it was that moment where I felt like I either had to pursue um, believing in God and being Catholic or explore and and come to terms with my sexuality. At that moment, it it really felt like that. And so when I say that that was really the turning point, it was that I turned my back on God, turned my back away from Catholicism, from that church, from people that I was affiliated with at that that time. And I I wanted to explore with, with, and knowing at the back of my mind that I have a, a, a good relationship with God but I feel like this part of me, he was unable to accept. And so therefore I felt like I needed to turn away and explore my sexuality. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. 
And so with all of those things coming out, uh, six months after that, I actually decided to come out to my parents. And it was on Mother's Day. It was after a dinner. My brother was there, and at the time, his girlfriend, who is now my sister-in-law. We were all in the living room. It was like a really grand old time. Like, we, we had a really great dinner. Um, we were just, you know, relaxing before we were all going to part ways. And then I approached my, my, my parents, and I told them. I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. Mm. And so then my dad, at first, he chuckled. He's like, what? You're gay? Really? And then he was a loss of words. And then my mom, the first thing that she was like, no, you're not. You're not. Like, I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to have HIV or AIDS. Wow. And then my my dad's first instinct um, and was his first instinct was to punch me. Wow. He, it was my, my brother that intervened and wanted to take my, my dad down to the garage and like cool him down. And um, apparently while I was still in the house, my, my dad was saying a story to my brother of how one of our other family members had come out to my dad years ago yeah. when my dad was like, even before my dad was even married. Yeah. And he said that he punched that family member's stomach because essentially he wanted to punch the gayness out of him. Wow. And apparently it worked because that family member is now in a relationship with a woman and has a child. And so he thought that that same logic would happen with me. Um, and so from there, it was very difficult because not only trying to navigate my sexuality, walking away from faith, and then um, having to deal with with family, um, having to deal with acceptance within my family members was difficult. I think after that, um, my father abused alcohol. Uh, He would say things like, what am I gonna tell my friends? What what am I gonna say to like other people? when you're, if you're gay. So of course, like those words made me feel even less worthy of myself. Like, Mm. again, questioning, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, I'm obviously like bringing so much distress to my family members, to my friends. Like, is this the right thing to do? And um, there were a series of events that happened after that. So one, my dad was abusing alcohol. Um, My parents got divorced. Um, this was at 19. So then once my, my father left, I was living alone with my mom, trying to make ends meet with her and trying to survive and pay for the apartment that we were living in. At the time, I was working two jobs as well as going to school. So all of those things um, accumulated. It was very difficult to navigate through life as a 19-year-old. And I felt like I was just giving so much of myself that I didn't have enough for me. Yeah. And so then January, that following January, um, I noticed that there was a guy that uh, he showed some interest in me. 
And I honestly jumped, jumped at that opportunity. I was like, you know, there's so many things in my life that I'm giving um, so much, so much of my time and my resources um, and commitment to, towards like, there's finally a guy who's interested in me, who's, who I don't have to think much of it. And so I jumped at that opportunity. I was like, okay, why not? Like I'm exploring my sexuality. It'll be great. But those were all the wrong reasons for me to be a part of that relationship. Yeah. He was verbally abusive. Again, he called me foul names. He said terrible comments about my appearance, even about my clothing. Um, I was just in that relationship for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And so it, it just kept perpetuating, like being bullied, being like feeling not accepted. And the fact that it even happened in my close relationship, like the person that I was dating, right. it, it, it honestly came crashing down. And so that February was when I had my very first panic attack. And so for those who are not familiar with panic attacks or anxiety attacks, it's essentially um, a lot of emotional distress that you're feeling. Um, you feel like you're in survivor mode. It's like flight, fight or flight. Mm. Um, and so I think because of a combination of all the things that were happening to me at my life, I felt like I didn't have any control. Mm. I didn't have control over my life, my for, for my family members, for church, my relationship, school. Everything was just not functioning as I had expected at that time. Yeah. And so my, my first panic attack happened, and I remember laying down... Um, well, initially I was sitting down on my bedroom, my bedroom floor and I was journaling and just reflecting on everything and how hard it was, it was for me to endure all of that at that moment. And so I tend to be an overthinker and I overanalyze so much. Yeah. And so I remember just lying down on my bedroom floor and my heart was palpitating. I was breathing, grasping for air, wanting to breathe, and just realizing how hard my life was at that moment. And um, my mom saw me on my bedroom floor. She's like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And I wasn't responding. I was just breathing, my eyes like wide open, just grasping for air on my bedroom floor. Yeah. And I was continuing to be that way for five minutes. Then she calls my brother. She's like, there's something wrong with your brother. You should come here. Can you check on him? He comes. I continue to do that after 10, 15 minutes. Um, my cousin comes over, who at the time was um, studying EMT. And then his father comes over, and they, they all kind of crowd around me in my bedroom floor as I'm continuing to um, grasp for air and I'm palpitating on the floor, and I'm just not responding. All I'm doing is just trying to breathe. So then eventually they call 911 and the ambulance comes within, I want to say two to three minutes. Yeah. And so there's like one person or two people who carry a stretcher, another person who had sort of like this uh, system to check all my different vitals. And so he checks, you know, my pulse, he checks my different vitals and see how I'm doing. And eventually I gain conscience and uh, 
he talks to me and he goes, Hey, um, you know, I looked at your vitals. I looked at everything and, and it seems okay. Um, it, all that, all that seems to be an issue is that maybe something's going on with your mental health or emotionally. And I do recommend that you get help there. He's like, we can take you to the hospital if you want, but it doesn't seem like anything drastic. And so then he handed me a paper, which I was like, I'm going to show it to you right now because I kept it. It's um, a refusal of service information. Um, and basically I signed it to let them know, like, you don't have to take me to the hospital. Wow. And, you know, part of the reason why I kept this with me and I keep it in my journals because it's a part of my mental health journey. It was the very first time that I had a panic attack. Yeah. And so when that first happened, I continued to have even more panic attacks after that. I didn't get any help. I didn't see a therapist or anything. I was just trying to continue on with my life, still in the relationship, still trying to survive with my mom, mm. still my turn, my back turned away from God. And so I was just continuing on with my life for two months. And then an incident happened with my boyfriend at the time. And that was like the last straw. And I remember going back home, journaling. I was ideating suicide. I began to write notes to family members, to friends in my journal saying, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm uh, thank you for all that you've done for my life. I even started to write my own will. I was ideating different things. You know, I was, I was like, maybe I should jump off of a bridge. Maybe I should grab a knife and like just stab myself. There are a number of things that were going through my mind. And at that moment of being with my journal and then again, being in my bedroom floor, this time with my knees hugged against my chest, swaying forwards and backwards, left and right, crying so much, saying like, saying to myself, like, it would be so much better if I like didn't live. People would like miss me or maybe love me even more if I wasn't alive. Yeah. And that's what was really going on through my mind. And then again, my mom sees me on my bedroom floor, this time hugging my knees. And she's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I literally exclaim and say, I want to die. I want to kill myself. And so it sounds like a, a drama, but I, I run to the kitchen. I grab like the nearest knife that I could see. Yeah. And I begin to want to like motion and, and, and kill my, and basically stab myself. Yeah. When my mom was in front of me, she was a lot smaller. Her hands were like, across my hands and she, she, she couldn't hold me back. She was like um, trying to negate me from like even um, motion the knife to my body. And yeah. she, she was crying out loud. She was crying out for our neighbor's name. Um, and so eventually the neighbor came. Yeah. She, the neighbor and her daughter came into uh, the apartment that we were living in. She took me to my bedroom and then she sees all the notes that I had in my note, in my, my journal. She sees like all these notes and she turns into a blank page and then she begins to draw the cross. So I didn't know that she was Christian at the time. Wow. 
she begins to draw the cross and she she writes Jesus, she writes John 3.16. Um, she writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so again, growing up Catholic, all of these things I already knew, I was reminded of it. And for her to, I'll show you the diagram, for her to like draw these different things, it, wow. it, honestly, I can say that God saved me at that moment. Yeah. You know, I, I walked away from him and knowing that I could still hear his voice throughout the time of me shunning him away, that he was still waiting for me. And at that moment when I couldn't even avoid him anymore, he was there to save me and remind me of why he died for our sins, wow. why, why he came on earth, um, why he was, you know, with the, with, with lowly people and why, he, why he was able to show his love to others. Yeah. And so, yeah, I truly like that was the, the moment in which God saved me and, I accepted that I was no longer able to turn away from him, that he was my, he was my father that I had to continue praying to. And that would bring me life would bring me salvation would bring me love and all these things. It's, it's crazy because it's, it's ironic that the church is what caused you to build this guilt and shame and turned you away from God. And I think that, you know, Alex, a lot of folks are still dealing with this today, like Christian leaders of like, you know, the people who are gay, you know, go to hell or they do, are they accepted by the Lord? And is this like theologically sound, but you know, in my belief, I don't think God would ever want someone to turn away from him and feel that guilt just because they were gay, you know, and I'm not a pastor. I don't, I haven't gone to seminary. I, you know, don't have the theological expertise and I'm (laughs) nowhere near a Bible expert to know, but I think I know a little bit of, of the father's heart. You know, I've been Christian my whole life and, I've seen and experienced so many beautiful things and certain things are difficult to watch. And I think this is something that was difficult for me to comprehend was if the father's love is real and it's the truth and he wants all people from all walks of life, you know, as a shepherd to go out and bring the one back into the fold and love them for who they are. And the type of folks that Jesus worked with were, tax collectors and, you know, folks who were like second class citizens, Samaritans. Yeah. Yeah. And for us as a church, as an institution to even inadvertently or indirectly make you feel less than to make you feel guilty and shameful for being who you are. And then that ironically pushes you away from God, pushes you away from the church. I feel like there's an opportunity there for us to bridge the gaps and and really work towards more wholesome 
outcome that that I think God would want instead of yeah. what happened. But I think this is just climactic. How like in your teens, nineteen, twenty years old, like you just had this like these panic attacks that you never had, and then these suicidal thoughts, and then her just drawing the the cross, and maybe you know you know we could post this on IG as well per your discretion sure. Alex to show like when you showed me that it just like manifested different feelings within myself this seeing the cross the writing in your journal and I'm just wondering like how what that did for you in that moment when she was in the bedroom with you and she drew all of that out and wrote John 3:16 amidst all of the chaos and the mental and emotional burdens you were going through at that moment and then you just having that experience of coming back to the Lord of him, like bringing you mm-hmm. back. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like just like a wave flew over me just now of like you talking about that experience. Um, and Alex, I'm excited because you went through all of this and then you saw the cross, John three sixteen about to off yourself you're going to kill yourself you went through this moment and then like you said you received this supernatural i guess sign Mm -hmm. that god is receiving you back or he was always there for you yes yes for you to come back and i'm just excited to hear the redemption arc and you know your experiences from being 19 and 20 up until who you are now. Yes. That's going to be the second part in this two part episode in the mental health series with saints of San Francisco. Yes. So saints hope you had a blast just listening to Alex's story. Alex, thank you so much uh, for your time and for your courage uh, to open up. And I'm just super excited for next weekend. Uh, for our next session where we'll go over uh, the redemption arc coming back to God and then your mental and and spiritual journey from then when you're going to kill yourself and you've received this supernatural sign mm-hmm. uh, to, to now. How does that sound, Alex? Yeah. I mean, it's a great cliffhanger and um, more than happy to, to talk about it even more but yeah thank you so much for having me and this is great Isaac really really thank you all right fantastic so saints tune in next week to part two of Alex's uh, story um, in the mental health series so saints of San Francisco we're tuning out for today catch you next week bye-bye Hey Saints, thanks for tuning in. We'll be releasing episodes on the first three Saturdays of every month. See you soon.